Brothers, there's a second set of notes that have been prepared for this session. And uh, I gave uh, somebody one of my master copies. So if you didn't get some of those fill-ins, uh, that, that master copy should be floated around the room. And uh, you can get your fill-ins that way, okay? Okay, and uh, Ray has a copy of the master copy. So if you miss some of your fill-ins, just check around. And uh, there's several of them floating around. And that'll help you. Uh, this is called... Uh, Seven Portraits of an uh, Enduring Leader, number two. We're going to talk about a good soldier. And that just takes us down to our next verse, verse number three. All right. I'm going to pray and we're going to get started. Father, thank you for continuation of the ministry of the Holy Spirit. Thank you that we're multi-generational in, uh, in this restaurant. And thank you today, Father, that we make this place your sanctuary. We pray that we will do, endure hardship as a good soldier. And, Father, that we will lay hold of eternal life. In Jesus' name we pray. And everyone say it. Amen. Amen. Once again, we're looking at Paul passing on truth and um, passing on empowerment to the next generation. And uh, we found out that there are many dynamics uh, for multidimensional leaders. And, uh, and one of the dynamics is relationship. There's leadership relationship. You cannot have influence with people you do not have access to. We found out that there's leadership stewardship, and that is stewards. We are stewards of everything, owners of nothing. And then there's also leadership. And I said, he leads us so we can lead others. And there must be a warrior mentality in every leader. There must be a warrior mentality in every leader. So we're going to look at number two, a good soldier, a good soldier. We're going to anchor our thoughts in 2 Timothy chapter, uh, chapter 2, verses 1 through 2, and we're going to focus in on verses 3 and 4. Let me read that. Uh, let me read uh, the text for us today. It says, Thou therefore, my son, uh, be strong in the, in the grace that's in Christ Jesus, and the things that thou hast heard among many witnesses, the same commit the faithful men who shall be able to teach others. Verse 3 and 4 goes on to say, uh, uh, goes on to say, Thou therefore endure hardship as a good soldier of Jesus Christ, no man that warreth entangles himself with the affairs of this life, that he may please him who chose him to be a soldier. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 3 through 4. First of all, I think it's important for us to understand that as enduring leaders, you're going to go through some, through some tough times, endure hardship. I call them hardship. The Bible calls them trouble. And 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse number 3, it says, when you're going, when the going gets rough, this is a message Bible, when the going gets rough, take it on the chin with the rest of us the way Jesus did. When the going gets tough, take it on the chin with the rest of us the way Jesus did. Soldiers know how to face tough troubles and times of trouble. There's a place where Paul was going through times of trouble and in first uh, and in, in, in Corinthians, Paul says this. Now, he said, we think that we uh, ought to that you ought to know, dear brethren, he says about and sisters about all of the trouble that we went through in the province of Asia. We were crushed, overwhelmed beyond our ability to endure. And we thought that we would never live through it. I don't know if any of you in this a restaurant today and in this room today have ever been through some tough times that were so tough you didn't know if you were going to make it through it or not. But there are times when we are overwhelmed. And that's a word that Paul uses, overwhelmed. And friends, during this season, there's been a lot of people been overwhelmed. I've had business owners who had to close down businesses. Their buildings got closed because they had that many employees and they couldn't have that many in. I've had some employees that had to transition from one job to another, overwhelmed. And friends, sometimes trouble just seems to follow us. There are times in our kingdom where we seem to have immunity from everything. 
But you know Psalm 27 says, in the times of trouble. There's some time where it seems like we're exempt and we're immune. And then there's other times that it seems like trouble just packed up and moved on our front porch. And in the times of trouble, he shall hide us. Now, sometime warfare is spiritual, demonic, and devilish. And you and I need to discern when we're having times of trouble, what's the source of that trouble? Is it God? Has he permitted trouble to come into our life? If it, is it Satan or demons? Have they brought trouble in our life? Is it human flesh that has brought trouble? Or is it self-created trouble? That's trouble that we decided to start and get into ourselves. Friends, sometimes it's spiritual. And when it's spiritual trouble, you and I need to use spiritual weaponry to fight against that trouble. The word of God. Effectual prayer. The armor of God. Uh, listen, the praises of God that bind the hand of the enemy. Sometimes it's going to be the offerings of God where we offer ourselves in service. And as we're serving, God protects his servants. Sometimes it's the name of God that we say about today. Uh, the name of Jesus, the name of Jesus. And sometimes it's our service to God. We need to understand the weapons of our warfare. Sometimes the weapons of our warfare are, 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 are mighty through God to the pulling down the strongholds. And we're fighting against satanic and demonic opposition. Sometimes it's natural opposition that we face. Natural and fleshly and earthy opposition that we face. And that would be sometime from this different kind of political ideologies, philosophical ideologies. Sometimes they're just human conclusions that people draw that have nothing to do with philosophy or politics. It's just human ideology where human beings come up with stuff. And friends, we have to fight against those Sometimes we're fighting against fleshly systems that are just perverted and corrupt, such as sometimes governmental systems become corrupt and they oppress people rather than trying to help people. We need to understand that. I remember when I was at my home church, Union Grove Baptist Church, where I grew up, 1963, September 15th, we had service. A phone call came in and by the time our pastor gave the benediction, Usually all of us knew at the time of the benediction and we sang the final a threefold amen. We went out the door and he said, I need y'all to sit down. And on September 15th, 1963, sitting in that church, our pastor announced that the 16th Street Baptist Church had been bombed. Four little girls in Sunday school had been killed. It almost took decades for the people that did the crime to even come to court and be convicted. And sometimes it's fleshly because of human ideologies. There are some people that just don't want other people to get ahead. And so from human ideologies, sometimes you're, you're wrestling against systems that are just corrupt. And friends, you and I need to have mature discernment to discern what's necessary in the warfare that we are doing. Because keen discernment is always necessary in warfare to know who the enemy is and where the enemy is. I think we just got finished with our memorial for 9-11, uh, 2001, when the Twin Towers were hit by two planes and the Pentagon, and then another plane crashed in, in uh, Pennsylvania. Two wars started right after that. And it takes mature discernment to know who's the enemy. And how we are to war against the enemy. And so, friends, there are many times when we're called to various places in the world. And we need to understand the weapons of our warfare. I've gone to do hospital visitations at various times. And I remember one time being called to the hospital to visit a girl who had some kind of toxicity after she gave birth. The baby was fine, but her health began to decline. They didn't think she was going to make it. The pastor's secretary called me. I was working at night that time, free in the day. And they asked me, could I please go to the hospital and pray for her? I went to the hospital, walked into intensive care. I don't know how many of you have ever been in intensive care, but those machines and, and, uh, and the staff there can be very intimidating as a space. I didn't know what to do. And all I heard the Holy Spirit say when I lifted up and I said, Holy Spirit, I don't know what to do. And he said, worship me. He didn't say pray, anoint with oil, rebuke the devil. He just said worship me. And I began to walk around that little room and begin to worship the Lord. And, 
It was before today a cell phone where you had, you know, tunes and music on your phone. I just started singing. And I didn't know I'd gotten so loud because the nurse came in and pulled the curtains and said, are you all right in here? And I said, yeah, I'm all right. I'm just worshiping the Lord. I'm a minister. And she said, okay, pull them back together. And I began to worship the Lord. And then finally the Holy Spirit said, now lay hands on her. And I laid hands on her. I prayed. There was no noticeable movement, no noticeable change. But I knew what I had done had been obedience to the Lord. I said, amen, left. I didn't know what the circumstance was and whether the decline would continue, but I was standing in faith that I had been obedient to what the Lord told me to do in that moment. Are you hearing me? Got a phone call at the noon the next day. They said, Reverend Scales, they told us that you left your card when you went to that hospital room. I want you to know that Pam Scott is sitting up in her bed eating lunch right now because the Lord had done an intervention. There's been other times when people have been sick where we just had to rebuke death, though. We just told death to step back. The lady in our church right now, Sadie Patterson, an older lady, went in the hospital, began to decline in health. They said she had had multiple strokes. They said if she recovered, she wouldn't remember anything, would not even be able to walk. The Lord told me, I, I prayed and I said, Lord, if this is not Sadie's time, I said, hold her life in your hand. And I sensed that it wasn't Sadie's time, so I told death to back up in Jesus' name and rebuke the enemy and begin to pray in the spirit. I left the hospital. There was no noticeable decline, uh, decline or improvement for 30 days. It's interesting. They called Sadie's family, which is very small, and said, we think it's time to disconnect. And they said, and so we need y'all to gather today and tomorrow morning come back at 9. By the time they came to disconnect, Sadie's eyes was open. She looking around. She couldn't talk. So after they began to see improvement, took the tubes up, started talking to her. Sadie comes to our church now. She's still on a cane, but she's walking. She's talking. And you know what? I didn't even know she was conscious when I came in that room, Pastor John. But you know what she told me? She said, she said, I remember when you came to my room and rebuked the devil and laid your hands on me. See, you have to discern the nature of your warfare. And I'm not telling you what to do and what not to do. I'm telling you to discern and ask the Holy Spirit, what should I do in this circumstance? And then just do what the Holy Spirit tells you to do in that circumstance. And then lean back and watch God give you the results. And friends, you and I, we have to endure hardship sometimes. It's tough to lose people. And I don't care how long I've been pastoring. I'll be pastoring Raymond Christian Center 40 years next year. And it still hurts right here when somebody dies. I know that they're, they're eternal, secure in the Lord. I know where they are, but it still hurts. But when God gives me an opportunity to intervene, I'm going to take that opportunity. And listen, good soldiers must endure difficulties as a good soldier point number two good soldiers a good soldier cannot entangle himself with the affairs of this world isn't it interesting my father was in the military my grandfather's in the military my brother was in the military i was not but it's interesting all of them tell the same story that when they were drafted my brother enlisted but the other two were drafted grandfather world war one father world war two they said that they take them to what's called basic training and when they take you there they put you out in the middle of nowhere. They told me that they shave your head so everybody kind of looks the same. They said they give you a uniform so that all of you are dressed the same. They said their first sergeant or drill sergeant calls everybody the same names. And I ain't talking spiritual names either. <laughs> they say everybody moves as a unit. And what they do is they strip away from you all of the stuff of civilian life. One of my good friends, Bishop Joseph Garlington, who's led a worship for promise keepers and pastors, Covenant Church, uh, the bishop over that church in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. I remember one time he tells a story about he and his wife, Barbara. And Barbara, when they married his blended family, she had a son. And he said the son got to a place where he just wanted to be rebellious. He's living in a minister's home, but wants to be rebellious. And he said, 
And Joseph said he wanted to call him by his first name. He said, oh, no, 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 no. I'm your father. You're not going to call me by my first name. You can call me pastor. You can call me sir, but you're not going to call me by my first name. Son just got rebellious. Mother rebuked him. Father rebuked him. And finally, he just said, I'm leaving home. They said, our son disappeared. And they said, we didn't hear nothing from him for two days. He called him up and then and said, mom and dad, I've just had enough of all these rules and regulations. You want me to call you sir and all that kind of stuff? He says, I'm leaving home and I've enlisted in the military. They said, well, where are you going? He said, I've just enlisted in the Marines. <laughs> Is the name of the place Paris Island? That's where he landed. And they didn't hear nothing from him until he got that. I don't know how many weeks it is. When he finally got that first leave, he called home and uh, his dad picked up the phone, and said, hello. He said, sir, may I speak to my mother, sir? <laughs> he put his mother on the phone and his mom said, son, how are you? He said, sir, I'm doing fine, sir. <laughs> Look at your neighbor and say, the Lord knows how to fix you. Go ahead and tell him. So you can be fixed by your parents or God has some other fixing agencies out there. And what the military does is it breaks the entanglement with civilian life so that you can focus on being a good soldier. Amplified says about that verse, it says, listen, no soldier in active service gets entangled with ordinary business affairs and civilian life, he avoids them. Listen, when in the battle, a soldier cannot be distracted. See, you and I cannot be distracted by calling each other liberals or conservatives. We can't be distracted by calling each other Democrats or Republicans or independents. We can't be distracted calling each other capitalists or communists or Nazis, or fascists. Friends, you and I cannot be distracted with titles and groups and liberals and, and labels. Listen, Jesus said, my kingdom is not of this world. A friend of mine, very close friend, years ago came to me and there was a lot of political conversation going on in the church and the church was getting more and more divided over these. And he, and they, and he called me up he happens to be white, I'm black, and we admit that. And, and, he, said, and he said, well, Lafayette, I just want to unpack what, what all these folks are saying. And when, he, and when we were talking, he said, well, you're a conservative, aren't you? And I said, no, I'm a follower of Jesus Christ. Amen. And the phone got quiet. He said, say that again. And I said, ask your question again. He said, you're a conservative, aren't you? I said, no, I'm a follower of Jesus Christ. He's an evangelist. And you know what he said? He said, that sounds right. And this summer when he spoke for our leadership summit at our church, you know what he said? He said, he said, listen, I've adopted what Lafayette told me years ago. He said, when people try to put me in categories, he said, when people say, Lloyd, you're a conservative, you're a Republican, you're this or that and the other. He said, no, nah, man, I'm a follower of Jesus Christ. Why don't you just try that with the man at your table? Just tell him I'm a follower of Jesus Christ. You cannot put us in a box. Jesus one time told his disciples, be aware of the leaven of the Pharisees and of the Sadducees and of Herod. The leaven of Pharisees and Sadducees is pride. You know what the leaven of Herod was? Nationalism. And he said, just be aware of all that stuff. And friends, as followers of Jesus Christ, remember our kingdom it's not all of this world. If you read Daniel chapter two, where that king sees that vision of that image with a head of gold, shoulders and chest of a silver, a torso of a, a bronze. And then it goes into a iron legs and feet that are mixed with clay. And, and to give the narrative, he talks about he sees a rock cut out of a mountain and it hits that image and all of it caves in. And then that rock, that stone begins to grow and grows into a great mountain. Daniel chapter two. Most of your scholars will tell you that is a panoramic view from the time of Nebuchadnezzar all the way to the end of the age. And the thing that it shows is that 
The Babylonian kingdom will, call, will fall, give way to the Persian kingdom. The Persian kingdom will fall. The Medes and Persians will come in. It will give way to the uh, Greek kingdom. That Greco kingdom will fall, give way to the Roman kingdom. It was split into two provinces, uh, two provinces, East Rome and West Rome. It was split into ten more, five more provinces in each one. He said, but in that day during Rome, another kingdom would be established. It was a kingdom that would be cut out of a mountain that would hit those kingdoms. They would fall. They would shatter. They would become dust. And then that kingdom that would grow out of that rock would become a mountain and it would endure forever. That's the part of the kingdom that we are in, men. And because we understand that we're part of a different kingdom, all of these systems are going to fall. All of them. There's only one kingdom that's going to last. That's the kingdom of God. Amen. It's also called the kingdom of heaven. That's where it's from. Yeah. Called the kingdom of God. That's who runs the kingdom. So when people tell me about trying to prop up America, I said, it's all coming down. Now, one guy tried to stone me when I said that one time. And I said, it's all coming down. Read Daniel chapter two. It's all coming down. And you and I cannot get entangled with that stuff. Because you're a good soldier. I need to influence it as much as I can. Paul believed that he was supposed to influence Rome. It came down. But he believed on his watch. I got to go preach before Caesar. And there's a place in this epistle. He said, all of those of Caesar's household have heard the gospel. Use your influence. And friends, don't be distracted and get caught up into these silos. See, to be distracted means uh, to have one's thoughts and one's attention drawn away to be distracted means to be unable to concentrate and to give attention to something and you and I our attention needs to be on the Lord's church and on the kingdom of God where the Holy Spirit is have you ever recognized the fact that God's gift to the world was Jesus God's gift to the world was Jesus God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life Jesus who then is a gift given to the world, turns around and gives his church the Holy Ghost. Jesus' gift to the church is the Holy Ghost. Now, why the Holy Ghost? The Holy Ghost just doesn't arrive on the day of Pentecost. I love studying the Holy Ghost because in the book of the beginnings, the book of Genesis in Torah, the Spirit of God is moving upon the face of the dead. Look at your neighbor and say, he's been around for a long time. Yeah, yeah, you can't get off the second page of your Bible without meeting the Holy Ghost. He's moving upon the face of chaos. And you know what? He's all the way through the 66 canonized book. And over in the book of the Revelation, he's still talking. The first five chapters of the book of the Revelation, the writer John keeps on saying, He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the church. He's still talking. He's moving back here, still moving here. Look at your neighbor and say, he's been around a long time. Now look at your neighbor and say, and he's in you. And I say, let him move in you. Let him speak in you. And don't get entangled with the affairs of this world. People then usually ask me after I make statements like that, they say, well, do you believe in voting? I say, yeah. I believe in voter education, voter registration, and voter participation. Okay, voter registration. You can't vote if you're not registered. I believe in voter education. You all know what you're voting for Amen. and who you're voting for. Now, I believe in voter participation. That means not only register and get educated, but go vote. Look at your neighbor and say, go vote. Now, ignorant voting is dangerous. But I believe in that. But I understand that's just influencing because I'm supposed to be salt in this culture. And salt only influences what it touches. I see salt and pepper shakers on the uh, table. That salt did no one's food any good as long as it was in the salt shaker. It could only influence what it touches. And I know some of y'all are avoiding salt, so y'all used the pepper this morning. Y'all did good, okay? I was, I was checking you out. I was checking you out. Under doctor's order, okay? Under doctor's order. But you got that bacon, didn't you? <laughs> yeah, I saw you. <laughs> I'm with you. Okay, we, we, okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And so, friends, you and I need to understand that many of us need to understand we have an influence. 
But as long as we're in a container, we do no good. But we can be poured out. But when we're poured out, let's not get so entangled that we don't maintain our identity even in that foreign environment. Salt is one of the only uh, spices that we use, if you could call it a spice, that could go all the way down into something and maintain its integrity and not become that something. You could put salt on a fish. And if you look under a microscope, you can see salt and you can see fish. Doesn't get entangled. Doesn't get insimulated. Helps it to taste better, but it's still salt and still fish. You can put it all the way down into a beef. Got salt and beef. Man, it does not get entangled. You never have picked up a piece of salt and said, boy, that salt sure tastes fishy. <laughs> because the fish doesn't influence the salt. Salt influences everything it touches. You're the salt of the earth. Salt enhances the flavor of anything it touches. You know, even the sweetest chocolate, they throw in a pinch of salt. Because somehow that salt has a way of enhancing the flavor. Look at your neighbor and tell them, that's why I'm in your life. <laughs> I'm enhancing your flavor. Okay, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're, you're better with me in your life, see? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm not there to ruin you and to sour you. You are better with me in your life. I'm there to enhance your flavor. And listen, soldiers understand I can't be distracted. I am a soldier. I'm on assignment. I have many military people in our church, both active and retired. November is one of my most exciting months because though I'm not a veteran, all of our veterans get together from the Army, Air Force, Navy, and Marines, and Coast Guard, and now there's Space Force. I understand the sixth branch has been added, okay? That's what I understand from the news that I've read, uh, that I've both read and seen. And listen to me. I like to come to, I, first of all, I like to come to the Veterans Day pancake breakfast because I like to hear the men talk. Because I got Navy and Marines in my, in, in my church. And, uh, and the Navy people always are telling the Marines, y'all know y'all are our stepchild. Because they say the Marines are a branch of the Navy. So they always say, oh, yeah, come on, this is my little stepbrother. That's what they call the people from the Marines. The Marines then turn around and say, yeah, and let me introduce you to my brother that takes us on a ride to the war. <laughs> and they get this jazz going on between all of these branches of the service that are there. But you know, once, once war is declared, we're on the same team. And we are on the same mission. I rewind to my movie Glory. Even there was racial prejudice between all of the troops until they got ready to face down those cannons. And friends, I want you to know that once we find out we need all of us in the fight, all of us, we need black, brown, red, yellow, and we also need white in this race. Black, brown, red, yellow, and white, we need all of us. We need nationals and immigrants in this fight. We need anybody that can hold a weapon in this fight, and we can't get entangled with the things of this world. Why? Because distractions will cause us to get misfocused. Listen, sometime in war, there's what's called friendly fire. That's when a military person might have had it in his heart to drop the martyr over there, but instead it fell short and it killed or wounded troops. You can't quit the military because you got wounded by friendly fire. And I don't know about here in New England, but in my city, Columbus, Ohio, there's a bunch of folk running around the streets today dealing with what they call church hurt. They won't join a church. They won't join a ministry because they say, I have church hurt. I got church hurt. And instead of letting the wound heal, they just keep picking at it. And I got, and I'm not denying that friendly fire happens. Are you hearing me? And I have compassion for those who got hit by friendly fire. 
But you can't quit the war and go home because you got hit by some friendly fire. Let the medics, the triads, heal you up. And sometimes they'll heal you up and not send you home, but put you back in the world. I like Patton, who went through a hospital one time. Said, what's wrong with you, soldier? Uh, 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 sir, uh, you know, I got a wounded leg. Can you fight? Yes, sir. Then what are you doing laying in here? I like Patton. <laughs> and friends, if you could still move, you could still fight. And if you still fight, it's not civilian rules. Because in civilian life, you can quit anytime you want to. But in military life, you're in the fight until the fight is finished. My father served in France in World War II. I preached in France the last of uh, February 2020. Preached at a church. I, I was telling Pastor John of a pastor. I met at Pastor Dave DeMola's church in uh, New Jersey. He, he used to have what he called the International Pastors Conference, IPC. Brought internationals in from all over the world for for an entire week, paid for them, paid for their hotel, paid for their meals, and they poured into them the word of faith for an entire week. I met this pastor there. He's from Portugal. Pastor Pedro has the largest church in Paris right now, 12,000 members. Strong word of faith church. Mostly made up of black and brown people because the people that are in that church are charismatic, Pentecostal, and they are part of what's called the French Commonwealth or French colonized places. They give those people access to their country and they're there. Powerful ministry. Tremendous praise and worship there. And when I was, when I was there, in the pre-meeting, his wife said, your name is Lafayette, that's French. I said, yes. She said, parlez-vous français? And I said, no. <laughs> then I said, however, my father served in France in World War II. And I said, and? I said, one of his army buddies was named Lafayette. And then when he got to France, he saw the name Lafayette several places. He went, and that's how I got the name, because of my father's army buddy and him serving in France. So when they introduced me, they said, we have Apostle Lafayette here today. And they said, we met him in New Jersey in the States. They said, his name is French. And they stood up and applauded. They said, his father was part of the Liberation Force. That place gave an ovation. Now, y'all know how far back World War II was. They stood up and gave an ovation to my dad for being part of the Liberation Force. And then they said, and he don't speak a word of France, uh, French, and then they fell out laughing, okay? <laughs> because when you're in war, there's an objective. Liberate these people so that they don't come and put you in captivity. And friends, you got to remember the objective. My dad fought in that war to help liberate Europeans, and, and later on we found out European Jews. My dad came home from World War II, and as a black man, couldn't even vote in this country. He was freeing people over there and couldn't have the same freedoms here. But you know what? My dad was a good soldier. He did not get distracted by the affairs. And when my dad died in 1958, before the voting rights bill was signed, I used to listen to him and his army buddies talk about the fact that German prisoners could ride on the front of a train and black soldiers had to ride on the back of the plane, on, on back of the train in Europe when they were leaving the thoroughfare. And yet he didn't get bitter. He said, but we were on assignment. I always heard this, but we were on assignment. You can't get distracted. You cannot get distracted. And friends, though our experiences may be different, we're part of a different army. Our kingdom is not of this world. Black, brown, red, yellow, or white, that ain't the issue in our kingdom. Have you been washed in the blood? Yeah. I said, have you been washed in the blood? Yeah. Have your sins been forgiven you through the Lord Jesus Christ? Yeah. Are you part of the kingdom of God? Yeah. Are you distracted enough that you can pray, thy kingdom come? Because I'm waiting for a kingdom where we will see each other as human beings. And we will see each other as an image bearer created in the image of God. 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 
Created in the image of God. Created in the image of God. Created in the image of God. Created in the image of God. Man, in our kingdom, once we get to the place that we can see that's a kingdom creation that's next to you and it's a creation that's created in the image of God and image bear, our entire mentality will change in our kingdom. And you cannot get distracted by all this stuff that's happening out here. I'm created in the image of God. I'm a God bear. You want to see what God looks like? You can look at me. Somebody say, well, that's arrogant. Nah, nah, nah. I'm created in his image. I'm becoming who I was born to be. Not arrogance. I'm on a journey in becoming who I was born to be. I was born and created in the image and in the likeness of God. And good soldiers cannot be mixed up, double-minded, and cannot be mixed focused. Because if you and I get there, we're going to have a lot of casualties through friendly fire. You can blame the devil if you want to, but it's friendly fire. But even with friendly fire, I'm telling you, he was wounded for your transgressions. He was bruised for your iniquities. And my motto is Jesus Christ. And there's a psalmist that says, one day you'll say, where did you get these wounds? Was it is in the house of your enemy? And he'll say, no, it was in my own brother's house that these wounds came. If you're going to follow Jesus, sometime you're going to take a knife in the back from a brother. Jesus is still eating at your table. You know, Judas was at the Last Supper, don't you? And yet he despised the shame and took the pain and stayed on focus. You and I need to remember to endure hardship and not entangle ourselves. Last thing I want to tell you, not only as a good soldier, uh, listen to me, that we have to endure difficulties, that we need not be entangled. But the final things I want you to understand that we have been entrusted and because we, we have been enlisted, rather, we have been enlisted to please and obey and carry out the mission of the one who chose us. Years ago in the United States, for some of the uh, younger men that are in here, they used to have what they called a draft. You didn't enlist in the army as much as you were drafted, especially during Vietnam. Vietnam, they were drafting folks. If you turned 18, man, and your name came up and they sent you that card, you had to report. Then they went with a lottery system where they took 365 numbers, put them in a hopper. Numbers came up one through 125. Gone. You would you you would number one. God bless you, John. <laughs> and and my I was on the student deferment and my number came up something like 235. And they told me you might. They said they told me if I maintain my student deferment, John, that they would put my name back in after my student deferment ran out. So they said, so you might as well just stay 1A or whatever. And they said, and uh, they said troops would have to be on the lawn of the uh, White House for, for them to call you. And I said, okay, I'm going to take a risk. But you were number one, eh? Lord help us. You know what? When you got that notice, though, you had to report. And Paul talked about he was apprehended by the gospel. He said, I didn't enlist in this thing. He said, I was apprehended. I was violently seized. And free, see, uh, it says in 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse number 4, Message Bible says that soldiers on duty don't get caught up in making deals in the marketplace. He concentrates on carrying out, on carrying out orders. Roman soldiers were known for rigorous discipline and Roman soldiers maintained unquestionable obedience they were known for rigorous discipline as you're filling and then unquestionable obedience soldiers press to carry out the mission i didn't understand this so there was a documentary on the public access channel on the roman empire and it studied one of the sessions the training of a roman soldier and what i discovered is in history roman Soldiers would go into areas where many times they were vastly outnumbered by the opposing force. But because of their training and their rigorous discipline, they would overwhelm those forces. Sometimes you and I may not be numerous in numbers, but if you and I will maintain the rigorous discipline and the training we have received, we can win a battle. I asked some of the guys who have who served in reconnaissance and uh, a couple of brothers, not a member of my church, but another congregation that were in rigorous, that were in uh, special forces. I asked them, 
How do you face an enemy when you have overwhelming force, uh, force coming against you? He said, you rely on your training. He said, that's what you're always going to bounce back to, your training. What were you trained to do? 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 He said, training almost becomes like muscle memory and second nature. And he said, and when you're overwhelmed, you always go back. Let me ask you this question as we close uh, this morning. What kind of training have you had? Because your training is what you're going to bounce back to in a time of crisis. If you're inappropriately trained, you're going to have appropriate response. I remember one time working for United Parcel Service, and I delivered a package to a woman, sat it on the desk, asked her for a signature. She signed the notepad. That was before these uh, computer systems were in. She signed the notepad, and when she gave me back my notepad, I got the notepad, asked for my pen back, and she held on to the pen, and she said, and can I get your name and number? Now, it's 8.30 in the morning. I had left my wife at home that morning. She was still in bed. She had on her nightcap. That's saying it nicely. She had that morning breath. She kissed me goodbye. That's the way I left my wife. I go into this office. Here there's this lady, blonde hair, blue eyes, smelling good, perfume coming off of her. And she's asking me for my name and number. Look at your neighbor and say, that is nothing but the devil. That's the devil. I then did this. I said, no, you cannot have my name and number. I said, I said I'm married. She said, I don't care. Look at your neighbor and say, that's really the devil. <laughs> what do you do when Delilah's sitting right in front of you? <laughs> you rely on your training. And you better believe. I said, listen. I said, no, you can't have my name and number. And I said, you need Jesus, and I'm out of here. <laughs> There's an old song that says, you got to know when to hold up. You got to know when to fold up. Need to know when to walk away. And you got to know when to run. Now, that's not a sacred song for some of you going to look that up in your hymnal. Okay, okay, nah. Hey, where that from? That didn't come from sacred space. But there are some times you need to flee fornication. How does that happen? You have to exercise your senses, says Hebrews chapter 5, to discern good and evil. And after a while, you can see it coming. You can discern. You can see it. You know she's looking at you too much. And you know that ain't your wife. I've had women come up to me sometime in church and say, Pastor, can I meet together because I just need you to pray over me. And I said, my wife's sitting right there on the front row. Why don't you go tell that to her? Why did they walk back down the aisle? Because now they don't need prayer. Nothing but a temptation. Now I got sisters around me at the church and, and they watch. And somebody comes up and they want extended time. I just say, go over there and talk to Sister Anita, Lady Overflow. <laughs> I said, I say, go over there and talk to her. And you know what? I've learned how to exercise my senses to discern good and evil. No soldier can entangle himself with the affairs of this world so that he can endure as a good soldier. I close with this final thought in Israel even today. Soldiers are enlisted. If you're a man, when you turn 18, from 18 to age 29, you're enlisted in the military. If you're in Israel, no matter what, and they give certain exemptions, uh, but, but those are rare. If you're a woman in Israel, between 18 and 26, you are drafted and enlisted in the military. Both their men and women fight. I close with this thought because it's important. I asked them one time, because I saw these high school kids running around with automatic weapons on their shoulders and military gear, and I said, what is this? And they said, everybody knows how to fight here. They said, we are so small in this territory in Israel that they said and the enemy is so overwhelming in numbers they said if we're ever invaded, everybody from a child to an elderly person needs to know how to fight. They said these old folks you see walking around here, they've been trained in the military. So if a fight ever takes place, we're going to fight on the hills. We're going to fight in the valleys. We're going to fight in the streets. We're going to fight on our roofs. They said everybody's going to fight. And I think that the kingdom of God ought to get that same mentality. Look at your neighbor and tell them you're in the army, soldier. 
And when they took you back to the prayer room, they not only gave may have you made a commitment to Christ, but you joined the army. You got an enemy called the world, the flesh, the devil. You have all of those enemies that come against you. But at the end of your life, I want you to be able to say as a man, I fought a good fight. I finished my course and I kept the faith. Friends, at the end of your life, I want you to have some victory medals up on your a man or right there that I won that victory because I have not just won the battle with the girl when I was working for UBS, but many of men's life battles I won. And friends, you need to have those. You need to win the battle over pornography. You need to win the battle over addictions of all kinds. You need to win the battle over the love of money. You need to win the battle over the need to be popular. Here's a big one. You need to win the battle over the need to please men. Because as soon as you and I are delivered from the need to please other people, you and I will experience real victory. Fight a good fight. Finish your course and keep the faith. Some of you are in a warfare today. Some of you are warring for your sons and daughters. Some of you are warring for your marriage. Some of you are just warring for your household. Because through COVID-19 and the Delta virus, uh, variants, some of you don't even know economically whether you're going to make it or not. If you know that you're in a warfare, stand up on your feet because I want to pray for you. If you know that you're in a warfare, and I, I won't have your name to warfare, but you know you're in a warfare right now. Go ahead and stand. And it's all right to stand because all of us are in a warfare one way or the other. See, when you're in a crisis, you never come out of a crisis the same, man. You can come out better. You can come out worse. But you never come out of a crisis the same. As a good soldier, I want us to complete the mission Jesus has called us to. And you know what? I can't quit because I haven't arrived at my destination. I can't quit because I've decided I'm going to make heaven my home. And I can't quit because I haven't finished yet. I've seen people quit races and quit the warfare. Miserable for the rest of their lives. But friends, you can't quit because of who you're engaged in. Would you put your hand on the shoulder of the brother next to you or in front of you. We're just agreeing for those that are involved in warfare. Father, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, I bring every man before you today. And we stand because we feel that we're in warfare for the soul of this nation. We feel like we're in warfare for the soul of this region, New England. We stand because we're in warfare for our sons and daughters because seducing spirits have been released into the air and into the culture. We war on behalf of our marriages, our wives, and our marriage institution. We war for your design for marriage, that a natural-born man should marry a natural-born woman today. And we're warring for the very institution of marriage and family. Father, we're warring for our institutions that are designed to serve us, but many times they're serving their own interests. And help us to be a prophetic voice to cause those systems back to righteous treatment and equitable treatment of everyone. We lay our hands on our brother that you'll strengthen him with might by your spirit on the inner man. Let him know that the weapons of his warfare are not carnal but are mighty through God. Help him to be a good soldier and not to entangle himself with the affairs of this world. God, we need business, we need money, we need resources, but Father, don't let that be so much of our central focus that we forget that we are part of a brand new and a different kingdom. I pray now, Father, that as good soldiers, we will please him that enlisted us. And Father, my final prayer is at the end of the day, we will hear your voice saying, well done, thou good and faithful soldier, thou good and faithful son, Thou good and faithful servant. Father, let every one of these men fight the good fight of faith.
and lay hold of eternal life, which is in Jesus Christ our Lord. I thank you for it, and I bless you for it. And Father, in old Pentecost, we used to sing a song, I'm a soldier in the army of the Lord. And Father, let these men take on that warrior mentality. Let them not quit because of friendly fire or enemy fire until they've achieved the mission and the objective. I bless you for it now. Now, Father, we have learned today that we are son teachers passing on truth to our legacy. And we have learned that we're good soldiers, not entangled with the affairs of this world, but enduring hardship as a good soldier that we might please him that enlisted us. We just want to be pleasing you now. Now lift those hands to the Lord. And we just want to be pleasing to you. Just want to be pleasing to you, Lord God. Thank you, Lord God. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Just enjoy the Lord's presence for just a moment. Just enjoy his presence for a moment. Just want to be pleasing to you, Father. Thank you, Lord God. Father, we want to be pleasing to you even during our time of loss, Father. Even during our time of loss. Father, be the comforter in Jesus' name. We want to be pleasing to you, Father. It's painful, it hurts. But Father, bring us through this season. Father, comfort us so that we can comfort those that are around us in Jesus' name. Bring us through, Father. Bring us through. You are the very strength of our life. And for this, we praise you today. And for this, we give you glory and honor. Thank you, Lord God. Thank you, Lord God. Thank you, Lord God. Father, even during the time of tragedy, during the time of loss, I pray right now, Father, that you're strengthened with might by your spirit. Father, teach us, even as a good soldier, we don't have to do anything but be, even during a time of loss. And so, Father, we thank you for that today in Jesus' name. Father, there are some who have lost jobs, who have lost positions. I pray right now, Father, that whoever has experienced loss, whether it's demonic or human cause, I pray that you'll strengthen them with might by your spirit on the inner man. Bring comfort, bring strength, and Father, bring stamina, which is our ability to stand and endure. For this we give you thanksgiving, and for this we give you praise. In Jesus' name, amen, 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 amen. amen. amen.